Welcome to the Lab Rats Podcast. You are now entering the maze. So are you doing the CrossFit Open workout in the next few weeks? So I think, yeah, they announce it tomorrow, I think on the 11th. I typically don't like register, sign up for it, but I still do the workouts because I think you have to pay like, I don't know, 20 bucks to register. And then you can like kind of see where you rank compared to the rest of people in the world. But I don't register. I just, I just do the workouts and have fun with it. What about you? Okay. Yeah. I'm not like doing it with the CrossFit open, but our whole gym Mm -hmm. is doing it like an an internal competition. We're split up into three teams. So, and then like Friday night, people will get together and do the workout. I'll be gone this Friday out of town, but yeah, so I'm going to try doing it. This will be like my actual, my first time ever doing any kind of CrossFit competition. Oh, nice. Have you done, you've done open workouts in the past, but you've never like done it start right. to finish. Right. Okay. And so this actually has got me, I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but this has got me thinking about my diet a little bit. So I'm trying to get stronger and I've just watched my calorie intake over the past few weeks and what what uh, when i really noticed it is when we did that the budgeting uh you mm-hmm. know eating on a budget and i realized that like i don't think i'm getting enough calories and i don't think i'm getting enough carbs for crossfit like i i eat a pretty <laughs> low carb diet i'm not in ketosis all the time but i mean really the only carbs i eat are sweet potatoes occasionally i mean any minimal carbs from like veggies but mm-hmm. I mean, pretty minimal carb. And I think that's impacting my CrossFit workouts. Cause I noticed that when I had the, like the rice and beans uh, yeah. for that experiment, like I felt really good when I was doing my CrossFit <laughs> workouts. And then I went back and was eating, you know, primarily meats and veggies, low, low right. carb veggies. Mm-hmm. Just, I feel like I didn't have uh, a hmm. ton of energy during my workout. So I'm trying to basically bump up my carb intake a little more and obviously get them from like good sources. Like, um, yeah. I, I am implementing some oats, um, okay. maybe a little bit of rice here and there, more sweet potatoes, some more fruit. Cause I, I didn't eat that much fruit either. Um, and I would like to like increase my weight a little bit and just be able to do the RX workouts. Right. Just so what stronger, are you aiming you know? for a, a, a certain, uh, carb percentage, like in terms of macronutrients, like, are you looking I think on our budget, we were both at like 40% carbs. Yeah. Uh, what do you think you typically eat? Like what percentage? I think typically I was probably like 10% maybe. And oh, okay. not eating many carbs. I mean, under 100 carbs a day for sure. And Jeez. now yeah, I'm, really I'm aiming well. for 3,300 calories a day. Whew. And 35% protein, 35% carbs, 40% fat. Okay. That's a good mix. Yeah, it's a, it's a good balance. That's a lot mix. of car- that's a lot of calories though. What do you like? Are you doing three meals? I presume to get that many in. I kind of have to get four. I tried doing it in three meals and it was tough. So I think I got to okay. do four to five meals to, to spread it out. But trying to get thick. So <laughs> I've never done that before. I've never really tried to like gain muscle. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just I got no reason not to try. So yeah. Well. Good luck. I mean, I, I think changing the carbs will make a big difference with CrossFit. Like I, when we were did, did carnivore, um, I think I mentioned this in our episode and how it did, I wasn't working out as intense, but it didn't, it did not by any means help my workout eating low carb to no carb, but like carbs, especially in CrossFit when you're working out super intense, 
it can uh it can definitely help you out yeah it's not for everyone the low carb life is not for everyone right on the topic of nutrition today we're doing an episode on milk uh this is a pretty popular topic like there's a big debate between dairy or, or cow's milk and nut or oat milk uh, like nut and oat milk have become very popular over the past several years i mean i drank it for years um, up until recently which I'll, I'll talk about here and milk previously was always you know touted as a, a great source of calcium we need it for strong bones and teeth um, all kids should be drinking milk and then that has recently transformed into oh we should stop drinking cow's milk and we should drink nut milk instead and i've seen a lot of people who who aren't even really in like a health community or really care that much about their diet switch to like um nut milks almond milks cashew milk yeah, what is interesting that's that's like one of the the very few segments of food that people who aren't even healthy are still switching to to milk alternatives like people who would not say they're into health and fitness, those people are still um, are, are switching over. Yeah, I think it's probably because it's a pretty easy switch. Like if you're drinking the milk with cereal, which I guess is probably what a lot of people do, or with coffee, um, I mean, it, it really depends. But for the most part, it's, it's a relatively easy uh, easy switch to make. So today we're, we're just going to basically compare these two. Like what are the pros and cons of each? I'm going to start by saying this episode isn't going to be this clear cut dairy milk is bad or dairy milk is good or, you know, why are you drinking nut milk versus cow's milk or vice versa? Like with most things in nutrition, it depends. And even with this, there isn't even like a good general recommendation. It all, it all depends on you. But what we are going to walk through is when you might want to avoid cow's milk. There are numerous kinds of intolerances to dairy that I'm going to go through. Um, we're going to talk about how to find out if you have an intolerance, uh, what milk options you have if you do have an intolerance to dairy, uh, nut and oat milks being one of those. And then if you do choose an alternative like that, like plant milk, what should you look for? What nutrients are you actually getting from those alternatives and what should you be avoiding? We won't be doing a dedicated Q&A to this episode since most of the questions um, that people asked on Instagram we're covering in, in this episode anyway. But uh, thank you to all who asked questions. There are a lot of good questions there. All right. So do you want to kick things off with talking? I guess we can start with the, the dairy side of things like real milk dairy first. What are some of the most common issues with people consuming dairy? So the number one, which I think everyone has probably heard of or is aware of, is lactose intolerance. This is the most common intolerance to dairy. Lactose is a naturally occurring sugar found in milk and dairy products. And what's really interesting is that when we're babies, until about the age of four, our small intestine produces a digestive enzyme called lactase, and that helps us break down lactose, which makes sense because babies need to be able to digest milk uh, to survive. However, we lose that in as we approach adulthood. So the majority of adults don't produce lactase. So th that lactose... Um, can sometimes be difficult to digest. And this leads to a, lot, a large portion of the population being lactose intolerant. It's estimated that about 70% uh, of people are lactose intolerant. And in terms of the 70%, that would be a, a wide variety. And that's not everybody like, you know, you get a little, a gram of dairy and you're on the toilet for 24 hours. Like some people have extreme intolerances where others can have a fairly mild intolerance. 
Yeah, that's a good point. That would include mild and severe intolerances. Okay. So, and symptoms of these typically include bloating, abdominal pain. I can never say that word, abdominal pain, uh, cramping, <laughs> diarrhea, flatulence. Uh, I mean, if you have, if you're intolerant to lactose, you, you know the drill. Uh, and then the remaining 25 to 30% of people actually do produce lactase into adulthood. And they're not really sure where this came from, but it's, it's thought that a, a group of people a long time ago uh, ended up having to I guess, resort to drinking cow's milk to survive. And so over time they developed this lactase enzyme and that got passed down to what is now 25 to 30% of the population. But it's an interesting history and, and not a lot of people really know kind of the history of it, but that's what we know so far. Uh, so that's the biggest one. And then there are protein intolerances. So the two biggest proteins in milk are whey and casein. You've probably seen or consumed whey protein in a protein shake. You've probably heard of casein in the con context of casein causes cancer, which I'm not going to get in, into today. That could be a whole episode, which we'll do at some point, but we're not going to touch that today. So some people have intolerances to these proteins. Casein is the primary one that people have an issue with. And again, this can present itself in a variety of ways. Uh, this one can be a little bit different. It could present itself as like plugged sinuses, itchy skin, hives, rashes, um, but also diarrhea, uh, vomiting, um, stomach pain, difficulty breathing maybe. So this is actually thought to be more common in children than adults and typically resolves itself around age four or five. But some people can... Um, can hold this intolerance through adulthood, but it's, it's far less common than lactose intolerance. But on the subject of casein, I don't know if any of you uh, have seen the A2 milk. You you actually introduced me to this. Yeah, it's um. If you don't know what it looks like, it's just like a it's a red carton and it has in big letters A2 on it. Um, it's a yeah, it's a specific type of milk, and it's usually in the like grass-fed higher-end fancy milk section um yeah yeah so um so the, the theory here well this isn't a theory but with milk <laughs> there are really two types of casein a1 casein and a2 casein remember casein is a protein found in milk and dairy products um and it's the largest protein in milk so the theory is that a1 casein is the culprit for most of the digestive issues that people face when it comes to cow's milk and may even present itself to look like a lactose intolerance when really it's a, it's a A1 casein intolerance. So A1 casein, when digested, releases a peptide during digestion that can lead to, to health risk, like digestive is issues, um, like I said, which can maybe present itself as a lactose intolerance symptom, where uh, a2 casein does not trigger the release of this peptide. So if you drink milk that does not contain a1 casein and you drink milk that only contains the a2 protein, you may not encounter any, any issues from consuming. And, um, interestingly enough, some cows produce milk with a1 and a2 casein. And then there is a small segment of cows that only produce uh, a2 casein. So the milk that, that they produce has no A1 casein in it. Not really sure how this happened, but some cows just don't produce A1 casein. Now, this was previously just a theory developed back in, in the 1990s. 
that was looking at some data correlations uh, in regions that had A2 only cows. But more recently, they've actually been able to perform some double blind randomized controlled trials on this. So uh, this was this is a pretty good one. In 2016, they took a group of 45 people with self-reported lactose intolerance, split them into two groups. Half of them drank milk with with A1 and A2 casein, and then the other half drank milk with only that A2 protein. They drank the milk daily for two weeks. Then they had a two-week break, and then they switched the groups uh, for another two weeks. And this was double blind. So the researchers and the patients, neither of them knew what they were drinking. In both cases, the consumption of milk containing A1 casein worsened gastrointestinal symptoms. It increased gastrointestinal transit time, so it slowed digestion down, digestion down increased inflammatory markers. Uh, it lowered total fecal short-chain fatty acid content, which is an anti-inflammatory, uh, and it actually slowed cognitive processing speed. And what was interesting is the milk containing only A2 casein did not exacerbate any of those symptoms uh, in even lactose intolerance subjects. So the results here suggest that the gastrointestinal symptoms associated with the milk in lactose intolerant subjects may actually be an intolerance to this A1 casein rather than, than lactose. So you know how I mentioned at the beginning that 70% of people are likely lactose intolerance. Well, a big chunk of that could be more of a, an intolerance to this A1 casein uh, rather than lactose. Oh, I, I should know, note that study, there were six scientists. One of the scientists works for the A2 milk company. Hmm. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean, again, that was one of six. That doesn't really mean that, you know, it was influenced, but it's just something to note. There were a couple other studies that didn't, didn't have anybody from A2 uh, milk um, involved in the study, but I just, I thought that was worth noting for transparency. And then there was a, a systematic review that, that looked at rodent and human trials around A1 versus A2 and found extensive evidence from animal trials and emerging evidence, as they called it in human trials, that a lot of the gastrointestinal issues that people have um, may be due to the peptide that is produced when you consume A1 casein. You know, they said there's, uh, there's need for further clinical trials uh, across various population groups, um, ethnicities, dietary conditions, but there's, there's actually some developing evidence for this. So where does that leave us with this? Well, this whole A1, A2 thing, evidence is still unfolding. Like we've said before, scientific evidence exists on a spectrum. And with this A1 versus A2 theory, we're seeing more evidence that A1 casein may be uh, a main culprit for a lot of people with gastrointestinal issues after consuming um, dairy milk. And it doesn't appear to really be any risk consuming only A2. So, so that's something that's worth a try. All right, so those those are the big the, the big things around intolerances in milk, lactose, um, whey, and then potentially this A one casein. So, is there a way to to tell if it, if you have like a, a specific lactose intolerance or a whey or casein intolerance? Like of those three intolerances, is there a way to pinpoint it easily for people? That's a good question. It's tough. I mean, there are tests you can do, but those are going to be expensive if you can even get a doctor to run one. Um, the I think the best way to really tell is, and we'll get to this kind of in the recommendations, but is do a 30-day intolerance test. So remove mm -hmm. dairy, dairy milk from your diet for 30 days, all types. And just dairy in general, probably like yogurts, cheeses, like all dairy. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Just remove all dairy because um, cheeses contain and yogurts are going to contain these proteins as well. So uh, just eliminate all dairy and then reintroduce things one at a time. So maybe you introduce uh, like just A2 milk. So if you introduce mm, just okay. A2 milk, that still has lactose in it. That's not a lactose-free mm -hmm. milk. So if you drink A2 milk and you don't have any issues, then maybe it was the A1 casein that was giving you a problem. Or you could do something like um, Fair Life is a lactose-free milk. So you could do yeah, try A2. Um, see how that feels. If you feel good, then go ahead and try um, Fair Life. That's something without without lactose, but it still has A1 and A2 casein. Yeah. And if that causes issues, then then you know, okay, it's the it's probably the A1 casein. So I guess those are some ways you can test on yourself to see to try to pinpoint what exactly in dairy is causing the the disruptions. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of got to experiment yourself, but that's one way to do it. So I'm going to go through the different types of milk alternatives. We'll end with with nut milk, and that's where Aaron will kind of get into some of the nutritional aspects of that. So one, uh, one are dairy dairy milk alternative, like variants. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. These are all, these are all dairy from a cow, beef milk, if you will. <laughs> um, so there's raw milk. All right, now raw milk, what's interesting about that is that it actually contains uh, the lactase enzyme that helps you digest lactose. So if you drink it raw, um, you're, you should have, have an okay digestion process with that. Problem with this is that you need to be careful due to bacteria. What we do now in the US is pasteurization and this heats up the milk to high temperatures and it, and it kills the bacteria that may be harmful to us, but it also kills the enzyme that helps us digest lactose. So if you drink just pasteurized milk, well, you don't have that enzyme in there that'll help you digest lactose. Pasteurization kills that. So the theory is that if you drink raw milk, you get that enzyme as well and can, can have an easier time digesting it. But there are laws around this. Not every state actually allows you. Indiana and North Carolina do not allow sale for human consumption. Even if you go to the local farm, some states allow you to buy from a farm. Some states allow you to buy raw milk in a store. And those ones, those states that allow you to buy raw milk in a store have a process to make sure that there's, you know, it's safe for human consumption. There's not bacteria that's going to, it's going to make you sick. So be careful with raw milk. I'll put a link uh, in the show notes if you want to look at state by state. So that's one avenue you could take. Or you could just get the A2 milk, like we talked about, that does not have the A1 casein. You could look at lactose-free milk. So there's kind of two ways to go about this. Typically, they either add in a, a lactase enzyme that helps you digest the lactose, or they like filter out the lactose completely. Fair Life, which is a popular uh, lactose-free milk, they remove the lactose, and then they add in a lactase enzyme to kill any remaining lactose. And you can actually buy uh, this lactase enzyme like at the pharmacy. And hmm. there, there are some recipes online where you can add it to your milk and basically make your own lactose-free milk. Or what some people do is before they consume dairy, uh, they'll, they'll consume this supplement that'll help them di digest the lactose. So that's one option. Uh, goat or sheep's milk is another option. This contains a little less lactose than cow's milk. If you're if you have a severe or even moderate lactose intolerance, this probably won't work because it still contains a decent amount. But if you have a mild lactose intolerance, some people have 
reported that uh the cat goat's milk or sheep milk is fine because it just contains a little less lactose ferment fermented milk like yogurt or kefir may help the uh the fermentation process may make the proteins and sugars in milk more digestible uh, so that's that's another option although I, you can't really eat those things with cereal but um <laughs> but those are some options and then uh probiotics so i'm not going to get too in depth here again this could probably be a whole episode but there is some evidence suggesting that you may be able to improve or even cure your lactose intolerance through um, supplementing with a probiotic when you take a probiotic it increases your gut bacteria diversity which may actually increase the production of the lactase enzyme enabling you to better digest dairy uh, there have been some interesting human trials on this that i won't get into here um, i'll put those in the show notes if you're interested but uh, that's that's something as well in terms of like grass-fed and organic these are going to have the similar proteins and sugars just higher quality so if you have a lactose intolerance or, or an, uh, an a1 casein intolerance whether it's grass-fed or not or organic or not you, you're probably still going to have issues so and then that brings us to non-dairy alternatives like uh like nut milks so i guess that's where i'll i'll pass it off to you um what, what did you find here in terms of i guess give us maybe like a rundown of of the different types is that was that where you wanted to start yeah sure there are at this point so many different types um like there's nut milks which would be like almond cashew macadamia there's soy milk oat milk coconut rice pea flaxseed like it's it's unending now there's so many different types of milk alternatives so basically we wanted to look at, so Andy gave us a good review of, of dairy milk. And I was wanted to look at the, the content, the nutrients in dairy milk and compare that to the nutrients in uh, a, uh, a milk alternative and also look at the other ingredients because we know milk is essentially just dairy straight from the cow. There's not much more to it, but with these nut milks and these soy milks, they are manufactured. So there's a lot that goes into them to get you know, a physical nut into a carton of milk. Obviously a lot goes into that, which can be concerning. So to start, I wanted to look at just as a baseline, like what's in whole milk, like from a, a nutrients perspective, what is in whole milk? And I'm going to use whole milk for purposes here. Obviously there's 2% there's in skim, super quick note on those. Like obviously the difference between 2% skim and whole is the fat content. 2% is 2% fat. Whole milk is 3.5% fat and then skim has zero fat. It's all been removed. Um, something to note with 2% in skim, when you remove the fat, which those have fat removed, you lose some of the vitamin A. So for 2% skim, vitamin A has to be added back into it. So it's, it's fortified with vitamin A. Typically whole milk and all milks are only fortified with vitamin D but 2% in skim have to have D and A added back in. Interesting. Last quick thing I'll mention here with, with um, low-fat milks is that for vitamin D and vitamin A to be absorbed, both of those vitamins are, um, are fat-soluble, meaning they need the presence of fat to be absorbed by the body. So if you're drinking a glass of skim milk that has D and A in it, but no fat, like you, you might not absorb those vitamins um, at all or very minimal amount. Whereas if you're drinking whole milk, you have fat in presence where 
the vitamins can be absorbed. So I'm not going to get into that um, discussion further, but basically for purposes purposes of this, we're looking at whole milk. So whole milk, one, one serving, one cup has eight grams of fat, eight grams of protein, and 12 grams of sugar. And that sugar is naturally occurring. It's, it's not added in. It's lactose is, is sugar. So it has um, 12 grams of naturally occurring sugar. From a micronutrients perspective, obviously the one you hear about most is calcium, um, vitamin A, and vitamin D, which like I just mentioned, vitamin D is added. Vitamin A is, is naturally occurring. So compared to milk alternatives, that's kind of just gives us a baseline. So how, how much do these differ in terms of nutrients and in terms of ingredients? So basically I wanted to get a, a collective sample as possible. Like, look, there's so many different variants, so many different types, so many different brands. And I wanted to look at many as, as many as possible. So the brand Silk is probably the one you're most familiar with. They most store shelves sell silk. Um, they make many different alternatives. They don't do just almond. Like they have almond, oat, soy, coconut. Um, but they don't do they don't do dairy milk, right? They don't do dairy milk now. So basically, for purposes of this episode, I'm looking at that at this brand. It just allows us to compare apples to apples. Now I will mention a few other brands like Oatly um, later on. But for when I'm generally speaking, I'm talking about silks um, version of these all right the ones i'm going to review here are almond cashew soy oat and coconut and i'm not going to go into these one by one i'm going to just kind of do a blanket coverage of these because they look almost exactly the same down to not just the nutrients but down to the ingredients and i'll get into why that is in a minute but for all these milks nut milks soy oat coconut the, the fat content of these is, is ranges from three to six grams, which compared to milk is eight. The protein content, there really isn't any. It's one gram or less with the exception of soy because we, everybody knows soy is, is higher in protein. Soy has eight grams, which is equivalent to milk. But other than soy, all of the other milks have no protein. And then sugar ranges from five to seven grams. And this is added sugar. They they add in cane sugar. This is not naturally produced. It's added in after the fact. Um, and then in terms of micronutrients, so whole milk has calcium A and D, which these do as well. Um, and they almost have the exact levels across the board. So calcium, it has about 450 milligrams of calcium in every single milk. That compares to milk to, to dairy milk with 276. So more than dairy milk, vitamin A, it's pretty close. It has 150 micrograms versus whole milk has 119 micrograms. And then vitamin D, it ranges from two to four micrograms, which whole milk has three right in the middle. And then two other nutrients you'll find micronutrients you'll find in these alternatives that you do not find in normal milk is vitamin E and vitamin B12. Are these, maybe you'll get to this, but are these all like naturally occurring in, in the milk? Uh, I will get to that. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's, that's what's interesting about this. Um, last two. So vitamin E and B12. E is found in the nut milks specifically, and then B12 is found in non-nut milks. 
And that's like, this is across the board. Like these numbers I read off like 450 milligrams of calcium. That's every single milk that silk makes across the board. Okay. Um, so then ingredients, uh, I'm going to do a quick run through of what the common ingredients are in these. And then this is where we'll dive into determining whether or not like this stuff is actually good or not. So the ingredients in these is, is about the same again, across the board, it starts with water and then whatever the product is so like water and almonds, water and cashews, water and soy. Those are the first two ingredients. And then cane sugar, assuming it's not a sugar-free variant, then vitamins and minerals. And then they usually have some type of gum or lecithin as thickening agents or to make it all, all the ingredients blend together. So in silk milks, they use gel and gum, sunflower lecithin and locust bean gum. Then there are natural flavors. And lastly, in oat milk specifically, there is also sunflower oil. So that's the rundown of the ingredients. And that's, again, the same across all these types of milks. The, the sunflower oil, you said that was primarily in oat milk? Only in oat milk, correct. Okay. I want to look at like what's, what's good and bad here. Like off the bat, it doesn't look terrible. You have water, you have like almonds, you have vitamins and minerals, and then you have these gums and lecithins. So, um, starting off, like the, the product here is, is, end, is mainly water. Like it ends up being mainly water around 98% of these cartons are water, like the amount of product. So let's just take, I'm just going to use almonds, for example, throughout this, the amount of almonds that make it into your glass is almost nothing. They have to strip away these products down so much to, to mix it in that essentially all that's left is some of the flavor. Like there's, there's no right. fiber, there's no vitamins, no minerals. All of that is removed through the, the production process. Do you have an idea? And again, maybe, maybe you'll get into this. Do you have an idea on like how many almonds, for instance, are typically in like a glass of milk? Yeah. So one glass of milk, this, this range, depending on what I found. But between four and seven almonds would be in a, a one cup of almond milk. Okay. Now, if you've seen like the branding of any of these milks, these milk alternatives, a lot of them market themselves as, as being healthier. Obviously, they, they try to market as being healthier than milk. They say they have 50% more calcium than milk. They say it's an excellent source of vitamin E. But these nutrients aren't, aren't naturally occurring like they are in milk. They, they have to add these back into the product because like I said, once the almond is processed down to a form where it can actually mix in without being like grainy, you essentially have to strip everything away from it. So like these milks aren't even close to mimicking the, the, the food that you'd be eating. So it's basically water. And I mean, it's a supplement, essentially. It's a supplement drink. It, yeah. Because you're not really getting any of the nutrients from the thing itself. Right. It's basically mm -hmm. almond flavored water with a multivitamin mixed in is essentially what it comes down to. Yeah. Wow. Um, like one thing that, like with the calcium, like they say they have 50% more cal calcium than real milk. And we know one cup has around seven almonds in it. So one gram of almonds is, um, or one almond itself is one gram. So seven grams of almonds equals seven almonds. So if you have one cup, you have seven grams of almonds in there. 
one gram has 2.6 around milligrams of calcium in it. So seven times 2.6 is 18 milligrams. Now, now that's if you were to eat, that's if you were to eat the entire seed, correct? Yeah. That's if you were to consume seven physical almonds, you would get 18 milligrams of calcium. And they're claiming that there is not claiming they're, they're stating that there are 450 milligrams in a serving, which is true. It's just, it's just all added in after the fact. It's not because you're drinking almond milk. They're simply fortifying it with supplements. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where that's not necessarily like a terrible thing. I think that's just where it's like misleading. Like people think, oh, I'm getting like an almond milk or a cashew milk, like almonds and cashews are healthy. And I, I'm drinking it instead of dairy. Like you're not getting any of the nutrients from those almonds. You're simply, you're basically simply taking a multivitamin is what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. In, in water. And I mean, I think there's a couple of reasons people avoid it. Number one, allergies. So like, obviously this is going to be better than dairy. If you have a dairy allergy, second yeah. reason I think is for, for health reasons, they may have heard that dairy causes cancer, which again, that's a whole, a whole separate episode. But if you're looking at it just from a purely nutrient perspective, I mean, there's, there, it's not really a great comparison because they're really, I mean, they're really two different things. Yeah. Yeah. So then, then what about the, the other ingredient? So that's kind of where it stands from a nutrient perspective. I mean, it's basically all fortified. It's all added in. And then what about like ingredients that somebody, one of the questions was what about like fillers and other ingredients? And I think that's probably the, the thing that a lot of people, health conscious people will, will look for is what mm-hmm. else is added in here? Anything that we need to be aware of or, or be mindful of? Yeah. So if you just stopped at it being water, like seven almonds crushed up and vitamins and minerals, like if you ended it just there, you could, you could say like, that's fine. Like that's, you're not getting really much nutrients, but it's, that's a fine milk alternative. Yeah. But maybe a way to, they, maybe a, 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 an easier way to consume vitamins instead of pills. Maybe you have a, a liquid that you kind of like the taste of. I mean, depending mm-hmm. if it was just that, I'm not sure how good it would taste, but like you have yeah. you know, a liquid that you can put with cereal. So it would right. serve its, its purpose there. But a lot of these have added stuff in them. Right. And I think that's where right. the real problem comes in. So obviously sugar is one, but they do have sugar-free variants. So I'm not going to, you know, give them a, a strike for that. Um, so the, the main additives are gums, lecithins, natural flavors, and oils. The, the lecithins, these are in the ones I've seen are called our sunflower lecithins and something commonly you'll see in like snack foods is soy lecithins. But what a lecithin is, is an emulsifier. It basically prevents the ingredients from separating. So if you were to make your own almond milk, I've never done this, but it, I imagine what's the almonds separate from the water. Like they don't stay mixed. Like when you have like a, a, a substance, it's going to fall to the bottom in water. Unless you have an emulsifier, it keeps it all basically blended together all the time. It doesn't sink to the bottom. So that's what this is. But to make a lecithin, oil basically has to be extracted from a raw plant. So in this case, a, a sunflower, sunflower seeds, oil has to be extracted from that using a chemical solvent called hexane. And then from there, further processing processing is done to get it into its final form, which is then added to the product. But 
the main concern here with lecithins in general is that the chemical used to make it, hexane, can make its way back into the final product. Um, so that's that's basically the concern here is this chemical, this unnatural chemical can make its way into the product. Now, you're not going to get a significant amount of it, like trace amounts, that's all that's going to make it into the product. And even then, such a small amount of lecithins are being used in the product itself. But for people who are super sensitive to chemicals, this could cause a potential flare up for those people. So I think a majority of the people won't have any issue with this, but it, it is possible. Mm -hmm. It's possible if you're super sensitive to chemicals, but I wouldn't say it's like a major red flag. We've mentioned, we've mentioned this in our um, healthy snacks episode. If you want to listen right. to that, we actually, all four of these, we actually go into detail in the healthy snacks episode. So, um, the next one here is gums. Both all these milks have gelin gum and locust bean gum, which gums are obviously used as a thickening agent. Like if you've had almond milk before, it's it's thicker than water. Like it's it's not extremely it's not as thick as milk, but it, it is thicker than water. So they use these gums to thicken it up. And with these, the the main issue or concern is really digestive issues. Um, people can have sensitivities to various gums and it could, it could cause upset stomach, nausea, just any digestive issues is uh, a concern for these gums. Again, similar to the lecithins, it's not going to be everybody, honestly, probably few people mm -hmm. will be influenced by these and something in a product like these milks, but it's just another thing. It's just another additive that's there that... You, you you necessarily don't want it to be there. Right. Um, and then the other two concerning ingredients are natural flavors and seed, seed oils. If Andy, do you want to touch on those? Yeah. So natural flavors we've talked on here several times. There are just not many regulations around flavorings. Like when you see natural flavors versus artificial flavors, I mean, a lot of them kind of end at the same place. There's a lot of stuff added back to them. Um, I mean, by the end... Uh, by the end flavoring, you could have, there could be hundreds of ingredients in it that don't have to be disclosed because it's, it's under flavoring. They're under a different regulation. So that's not to say that anytime you see natural flavor, that means it's bad. And there are hundreds of synthetic ingredients. Some natural flavors are purely fruit extract and they go under that flavoring category. The problem here is we just don't know. So to the extent that we can, we try to avoid natural flavors. Now with seed oils, Again, we mentioned this in our uh, our healthy snacks episode, I don't know, probably a year ago, and um, assuming a lot of people listening probably forget. But with seed oils, uh, these seed oils are very high in omega six, and omega six is a pro is a pro inflammatory, and versus omega three, which is an anti inflammatory. And historically, if we were eating a whole foods diet, we would have a pretty good balance between omega three and omega six. We wouldn't have too much of that, those pro-inflammatories. Um, we have a good balance of anti-inflammatories. Well, the problem with um, industrialized, this industrialized food system and really any kind of processed food is they're, they're loaded with omega-6s. Like you'll see seed oils. Go look at any snack you have. You will see a sunflower oil, safflower oil, canola oil, um, any kind of those vegetable oils are very, very high in omega-6, like concentrated doses of omega-6. 
um, which is again, like I said, a pro-inflammatory. We know that continual inflammation is the cause of most of our chronic illnesses. So to the extent that we can, we want to avoid those high doses of omega-6 and, uh, and really avoid seed oils, uh, in, 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 uh, in process ingredients like that. We just, our, our bodies weren't made to consume them in those quantities. So that I would say is kind of a, a red flag. Now are, are seed oils in most, most milks? Did you come across them? from, from what I've seen, it's, it's typically only oat milk and pea milk. And that just has something to do with, I assume the texture, like the end texture and the end product, like oat milk, um, and pea milk, like the ingredients that go into it, they need that oil to Mm-hmm. make it a good consistency. So in your typical like almond, cashew, soy milk, I don't think it's common to have a seed oil in there. Um, but I'd say of the four, the, the oil is probably the most concerning of these right. ingredients. The others like lecithins, gums, natural flavors, like none of these are specifically terrible for you. Like they aren't any, anyone is not specifically linked to cancer or any significant health concerns but they're just one more unnatural ingredient in the product that you're consuming. Now, uh, I wanted to mention two other brands here. One of these was a listener question, and one was just as a more popular oat milk, Oatly. And what Oatly did, so like I mentioned, seed oils are often in oat milks, and Silk has an oat milk, and they use, um, I believe, sunflower sunflower oil and oat milk and Oatly here is obviously another oat milk. So they made a few tweaks. You may that... have seen the Super Bowl commercial, the No Cow <laughs> song. That was that's that's the worst commercial of all time. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Um, but I think they did. They made some tweaks to their milk that made it make it better than Silk's oat milk. Instead of using sunflower oil, they used uh, a canola oil which has actually better O3 to O6 ratios. Sunflower doesn't sunflower oil does not have any omega 3s whereas um, canola oil at least has a little bit of omega 3 in it. And something that they do is they add in a DHA um, algae derived oil which is basically O3. So they're adding okay. in extra omega 3 to balance out Okay. that um, omega-6 from the canola oil. So I thought that was a pretty interesting addition. That is interesting, yeah. So it, it it makes the incorporation of of seed oils less bad for mm-hmm. you compared to silks. Uh, and another perk that Oli also does is that they actually don't use, um, I don't know how they get the consistency, but they don't use lecithins or gums in theirs. I think some of them do contain added sugar in it, right? Some of the Oatly. I believe so. I believe so. But yeah, um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so I just, I think of oat milks, that one didn't look terrible. Um, Yeah, it doesn't have those fillers in it, and they balance out the omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. Um, One here that a listener asked about is Ripple, which is a pea milk. And I I didn't mention pea milks above, but... Same same story here with other milk alternatives, and for the for this one, it's essentially the same as Silk's oat milk. It contains sunflower oil. It still contains lecithins and gums, so I really wouldn't like this one. Really doesn't stand out as 
as superior to any other type of milk alternatives. It kind of blends in with the others, I'd say. Okay. So I, I don't know, just overall with, with these milk alternatives, like I don't see them as being terrible. I don't think they're awful. I mean, you can certainly get like bad ones, like ones with sugar in it, or they have like chocolate milk variants, which probably aren't great. But if you just get their original unsweetened version of these, it is, it's a, it's a, if you're lactose intolerant, I'd say it's a good alternative to milk. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think for, for dairy intolerant people, or, or, or if you are worried about other concerns, which again, we didn't address here, but other health concerns of, of dairy just need to be careful with what the alternative is, regardless of whether Mm -hmm. that's another dairy alternative or, um, or a plant alternative, just, you know, know what you're consuming. Yeah. If you're intolerant, like if you continue to consume something that you're intolerant to, that's going to continue to increase inflammation, which can cause long-term problems. So if you can't digest real milk, obviously you don't want to continue drinking that. You can try the different alternatives that I mentioned, but none of those work. Yeah. Probably best to avoid milk entirely. Um, and you know, maybe try, maybe try some of these cleaner, uh, plant-based milks. It's better than it's better. It's obviously better than causing inflammation with dairy milk, but it's not really a nutrient equivalent. Um, but still maybe can satisfy, uh, satisfy the urge. If you wanted something to drink with your cereal, do you have, um, I, I wanted to briefly talk about my experience with this. And then I guess I I kind of already talked about how to test yourself, but, Mm -hmm. um, did you have anything else regarding the nut milks? No, I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. I don't. Okay. I'll, I'll just briefly talk about my experience. I've never been a huge milk drinker. Even as a kid, I only used it for cereal. And then, you know, in college, I just used the cheapest milk at Aldi. When I got married, Katie and I started using almond milk, uh, you know, even though we weren't like plant-based or anything because we heard it was healthier and, and we didn't mind the taste. So for the next several years, uh, and then through our, our plant-based years, we experimented with cashew milk, oat milk. I never got into soy, um, but we drank Oatly for, for the longest time up until about six months ago when I came to Indy and you introduced me to a two milk, uh, when we were carnivore. And, uh, so that's what we buy now. We buy the a two. And again, I didn't drink milk like real milk for, I mean, probably years, same with Katie. And we introduced this a two milk, no digestive problems at all. Hmm. And now I'm not drinking a ton. Like I didn't drink uh actually, I guess when I first drank it, was with with you and we had a glass of milk so i guess i just drank it straight yeah. up most of the time if i do cereal i'll put on my cereal i'm trying to think where else i put it like i guess i'll put a little bit in my eggs to make my eggs a little creamier and then mm-hmm. um katie uses it for her coffee but yeah when we introduced it we had we had no problems at all hmm. okay um have you tried like switching to something like not switching but have you like have you had anything other than a2 milk to like no to see if those no, no, I mean, neither of us had a, had a problem with it. So we, uh, we've kind of just stuck with it. Yeah. So I think that's just what people need to do. It's just test for yourself. Like there is no clear cut answer here. Like this is good. This is bad. It really all depends on you. Mm-hmm. So now if you think you have an intolerance to dairy, you, you can get a test or I think the best thing to do. And one of the best thing, this isn't just apply with dairy, but I think this applies really with any kind of food or intolerance. One of the best things you can do is a, a 30 day intolerance test, a 30 day experiment where you completely remove that food group. And then after 30 days you add it in, and this is completely free. Um, 
I mean, yeah, you could go look and ask other around, read articles about intolerances, or you could just kind of find out for yourself by, by doing this 30 day. It just takes 30 days of removing a food that maybe you like, but I think if it can save you a lifetime of inflammation and discomfort, totally worth it. Yeah. I think honestly, most people should try this. Like you said, like 70% estimate is who are lactose intolerant and other people could be casein or, or whey protein intolerant. Even if you like can drink a glass of milk and be totally fine, that doesn't mean you're not like not um, intolerant. Sometimes your body can That's adapt. I know I went off like I, I've always been a big milk drinker growing up as a kid and I went off of milk for, I don't know, maybe two years total. And then I went back to it. I never knew I was, I had issues and I went back to it and it definitely upset my stomach. Mm -hmm. Um, I do still drink milk because <laughs> I love it so much. What about but, A2? Does A2 <laughs> bother you? That's, I, I haven't done strictly A2 milk. We usually buy either like a grass fed or just A2. I haven't done just A2 for 30 days without anything else. Cause I also like eat cheeses as well. Um, I don't think I have an extreme intolerance, but I, I definitely have a mild one, but that's to say, I didn't know I had that intolerance until I cut it out and then reintroduced it. So, um, there's something to note. No, I think that's a really good point. I think a lot of people have just been like living with something like, for instance, this happened with gluten with Katie, her mm -hmm. entire life. Anytime she had bread, her stomach would cramp. And she thought that was just normal because she yeah. lived her entire life like that. It wasn't until she removed it and then added it back where she realized I have a gluten intolerance. Mm -hmm. And, um, so you can do the same thing with any type of food. D dairy is a pretty easy one to experiment with. So yeah, even if you, even if you don't, uh, no, or think you do, uh, you probably, I mean, honestly, statistics say you probably have an intolerance. So worth experimenting yeah. with this. Um, some of the things we mentioned, we'll, we'll mention, uh, we'll put in the show notes. Uh, any other thing to close us out? I think that's it. All right. If you're not on our Rat Pack mailing list, check it out. And once again, thank you for uh, for listening. If you made it all the way through, appreciate it. <laughs>